Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2016. We start by speaking with author Chris Stepien about his book, Dying to be Happy. And then we reconnect with singer-songwriter Mags, who has a new album, Maybe Our Love. In our second half hour, producer David Nalieri tells us about two new Knights of Columbus films, and we end the show with a featured conversation with John Michael Talbot. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook and Twitter. We begin now with Dying to be Happy. What would you do if you knew that today was your last day? What would be important to you? How would you spend your time? These are questions that led author Chris Stepien to begin writing when his wife was diagnosed with cancer. The result is Dying to be Happy, Discovering the Truth About Life, a new book. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Chris Stepien. Chris, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me, Deacon Pedro. So before we start, I do want to ask you about your wife, Ellen. She's in good health? She's in very good health. Um, she did very well with her breast cancer care. Um, her hair fell out. She had yeah. chemo, had a mastectomy of one breast. But she's dying to be happy. She's alive and well and grateful for every day. Thank you for asking. Right. No, yeah, I know, I know. Uh you, you, part of the story, maybe it's not part of the story. I'd say most of the book is stories, and of course, you begin with with that. The, the I guess the story of sitting in that doctor's office with with Ellen. Um, is it fair to say that that you, that you're sort of these are stories of how people rise above the fear of death? It is. Uh, they become examples of the thesis of the book, because the book is really about discovering the truth about life. Right. Acknowledging our mortality, actually embracing it on a daily basis, waking up every morning and saying, today could be my last day, how should I live? Right. And I think that, you know, in the book, we the thesis is you come to the point of gratitude to God, yes. and therefore, if you're grateful, you will serve, you will be humble and happy to serve others. It's very hard to be unhappy if you're truly grateful. Yeah. And I do want to pick up on that uh, a little later, but I want to... Just, so the stories that you tell throughout, um, the, these are these are lessons, I guess, that these people, it, how they live their life, this is what you, you're kind of glean, gleaning from their lives. Without a doubt. Without One a of the doubt. stories is about my mother. I was going to ask you about your mother. Tell me about it. She survived the Holocaust. Yes, she did. My mother and father got a front row seat for World War II. My mom was 10 and my dad was 18 when the Nazis invaded Poland. Yeah. They were living in rural Poland near the San River on the eastern side of Poland. And so my mom saw horrific things and she was actually captured during a Gestapo raid in retaliation for an underground um, uh, effort. Uh, you know, the underground had hit the Nazis and yeah. they were hitting back. And my mom was actually captured. Um, and uh, fortunately, she was able to slip away with the help of her um, mother and some aunts um, because people were permitted to bring food to people right. who were captured just prior to going on the death train. 
and she was able to slip away. And so that lesson for me was why why did she get away and others not? Right. Um, and there there were things that she saw, like a great big round fat woman, large woman climbing up a, a tiny little tree and attempting to hide that day from from the Gestapo. But that woman survived as well, as did her aunt who ran wow. through the home yelling, run, run, get, and to get out of the house, warning her that the Gestapo were coming. And she hid in a barrel in someone's mudroom. Right. She was not captured, but many others were. And this is the great lesson that Jesus teaches us in the Scripture. He tells us to be prepared, be ready, and not to worry about life, because he said, who among you can add a moment, a single moment to your life by worrying? I so know. this is the core of the gospel that we, I think, tend to overlook or deny because we don't like to face the reality that each day could be our last. Right, I know, it's not easy. Now, you do also uh, make the connection between mercy um, and living life to the fullest. Where, where do you see that connection? Well, for me, it comes from Jesus' gospel in Matthew 25. I call it the sheep and the goats clause. Yeah. Because it's written in such a way, it's kind of like a legal contract. There's some intentionally repetitive language that Jesus uses to tell us that we will be judged by how we love one another, how merciful we are to the stranger, those who are sick, those who are in prison, those right. who are hungry, thirsty, or, or naked. And he calls us to live a life of mercy. This is, dying to be happy is not about your bucket list or my bucket no. list. It is about fulfilling our call from God, which is to be merciful to others, to express our gratitude to him by showing love to one another, to, to wash feet. I call praying, um, breaking bread, and washing feet the three-step boogie of Christianity. In other right. words, this is what we're essentially called to do. So we get caught up in the world, and we want things, and we want to own things, and then we wonder why we're not happy. Right. And the reason we're not happy is because we're not following the simple message that Jesus said, which is, you know, love one another. Yeah. That's that's the key to happiness. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think at all that the book is about this, but what would you say to that person that's listening, thinking, well, isn't that kind of fe a fear-based approach that we need to do good because we're scared that we're going to die and go to hell? No. On the contrary, I think our fear of death is what leads us to unhappiness. In other words, okay. if you knew you were going to die today, what would you do? In other words, what what are you doing with your time here? ultimately, even if you were not a believer. And I've had people who are not believers or who are not Christians respond very positively to this book. Right. Because a, a Jewish man told me, although I am not a Christian, reading the book made me want to be a better, become a better person. Right, but not... And be that ultimately is, is what I think Christianity is about. And I don't think we can get there without embracing our mortality. And you're saying that if once we realize that, what I don't, we realize that, and that means that we're no longer afraid of death, or realize not being afraid of death makes us helps us realize that. Do you know what I'm asking? Well, I I think being afraid of death is normal. Uh huh. You know, just because you acknowledge that you're going to die, and you just because you accept something doesn't right. mean that that you that might have a not have a natural fear of the unknown. Yeah. Right. But if I accept it then all of a sudden, There's was a that thing that she or he said to me 
really worth getting upset about? Mm -hmm. Because this could be my last day. Right. And and, and this is ultimately the message of Jesus. He He also said, you know, if you can't control these things, then why would you worry about the, the the smallest things. In other words, right. don't don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Who who knew that that came from Jesus originally? Yeah. So so we we spend a lot of our life in fear. You know what fear stands for, of course, right? Uh oh, you're going to tell me. <laughs> Future events appearing real. Yes. I mean, this is what essentially fear does to us. It's it's demonic. It 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 distracts us from love. It it we don't trust God. Right, and and we if if we can trust him, yes. even unto our death, then we can do great things. Because he said, you know, um, those who believe in me will do the things that I do, and will do greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Right. Wow, who would ever think we could do that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think that death has something to teach us about life? Oh, without question. I mean, it it, it does because it's part of life. Mm-hmm. I mean. We begin dying from conception, right? But we don't. It, in in death is the truth because if you can deceive yourself, delude yourself into believing you're going to live here forever, or don't pay any attention to it, you know, kind of procrastinate thinking about it, then you can lie to yourself about anything. But if you are willing to be truthful with yourself and acknowledge your mortality, then all of a sudden you can be truthful with yourself about yourself, about your life about how you're spending your time and what you think is important, what your priorities are. Because death being the great equalizer, meaning no matter how much you earn or how little you have, when we die, we're all equally right. dead. Yes. Um, it, it has a way of putting everything in perspective. But if you want to deny it, then you, know, you can lie to yourself about lots of things. Yes. Okay. Those are wise words, my friend. Thank you for sharing them with us today and uh, for writing the book and uh, lots to think about. Thank you for reading the book, Deacon. And as always, thank you for letting me share my thoughts. God bless you. You too. That was a, that was a conversation I had with Chris Stepien earlier this week. Chris Stepien is a journalist. He's turned author. He's the author of Dying to be Happy, Discovering the Truth About Life. It's published by Beacon Publishing. You can learn more at dynamiccatholic.com. If you're in Canada, you might, might want to look at amazon.com to avoid those shipping charges. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Mags, with Crazies from her newest album, Maybe Our Love. Now I'm tapping fake, so for the sake of my insanity 
That was Mags with Crazies from her newest album, Maybe Our Love. Mags, or Maggie Wong as her parents call her, is a 21-year-old Canadian jazz, contemporary, pop singer, songwriter, and faith speaker. We first learned about Mags when she was 15 years old when she recorded her first album, this amazing album called Dreaming of Christmas. Um, She has released three albums since then. Her latest, which we've been listening to, is Maybe Our Love. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Mags. Mags, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you so much for having me. So I think I want to go back to, because I think that the last... I'm a little confused, but I think the last we spoke, you had just won the American Idol Experience competition. Um, and maybe that's mm-hmm. not the last time we spoke, but I know that that happened. So tell us a little bit about that, because people might not know what that experience was like. Yeah, so um, I think that was that was a while ago now. Um, but my family and I went to Orlando. We went to Disney. Yeah. And they have this cool little, um, it's like a little mini contest. Uh, for American Idol, um, and then if you win it, you get uh, a little ticket to go to the front lines of any American Idol audition, and you can be like in the TV uh, in the TV show. Right. Um, unfortunately, though, while America, our American Idol was um, when it, the TV show was running, 
I think it was the last season yes. of it. So I only had one chance to go try it out because I did win it. Yes. Um, but the problem was I'm American. So, or sorry, I'm Canadian, and you can't try out if you're Canadian because you can't make money for them. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so it didn't work out, but it was a really fun experience. But you were, sure. you did. I mean, you did. You were on the show. Like no, on, not on the uh, American. Not Idol on the TV show. show. No, you I were wasn't. on the on the. So the st- the video that's online is the stage show. Y- yeah, it's uh, it's actually from. It's very trippy because it's <laughs> it's uh, they have like a set in Disney. Okay. Um, that looks like the American Idol, yeah. And it's so done it's like the show, so you get and you get and you get the judges giving you feedback as well. Cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's too bad because you would have totally won everything. Oh. Um, oh, thank you. But but okay, but wait. So okay, so maybe I am confused because didn't that lead to your last album, which was the jazz album, didn't it? In a, in a sense, that experience. Um, not, not totally. So, um, after that, after the American Idol experience, um, we decided to, uh, do a live album for okay. jazz because I, I'm a jazz fanatic and I yes, love it. Yes, yes. So, um, my dad, who's a prof at one of the universities here, he does, uh, engineering. So he wanted to do an album, uh, that was tailored for what's called the Oculus Rift, which is a gaming device. Right. And so what he wanted to do was to record the first live music album, kind of as an experiment. He, he was studying the effects of virtual. What it does is you, you put on these goggles or these glasses, and um, it projects like you look around in 3D, like what right. you're seeing is in 3D yes. virtual world. Virtual reality, yeah. Um, we recorded the concert so that you can see it in 3D, like it's recorded in a 3D format. Uh, but actually what, what they were doing the experiment for in terms of um, three, like 3D was the sound was actually 3D. Okay, that was going to so be my next question. So I don't know if question. you've ever yeah. heard of, um, they used to have these YouTube clips, you could put like an earbud in and they would have, um, they play different sounds and, and your brain can, can locate different sounds around your head. But really, there's no sound. There's no nothing is actually circulating around you. It's just a, a trick. So, uh-huh. so that's what was called binaural sound for sure. Because I don't. There's nothing really out there like that. And, no. You know, we thought, let's try to make something. I mean, jazz is supposed to be spontaneous yes. and live. And I think a lot of the time with uh, with albums, they're so overproduced that it's nice when you see uh, when you see something live. You yeah, know, it's nice it when is. You can actually see the mistakes. Absolutely, yeah. and in, and in this case, mm-hmm. people can also watch it. Um, yeah, that's right. So now, so tell me about this new album, maybe our love. That again, it's a jazz album, but it's not live. So what what would be different um, about this album for you? Hmm. So, um, so the maybe our love album, uh, I think, is is more comparable. It's kind of more in the direction of of. Uh, my second album called Mismatched was uh, it was a pop album, yeah. uh, but it most of the songs had um, you know unrequited love, I would say. Uh, and so this album, even though it has the same a couple songs, are are in that direction, like a Taylor Swift kind of direction. Yeah. Uh, this is just a really interesting album for me as an artist because I got to go down to the states and record it. Uh-huh. Um, so my dad and I we flew out to Nashville. 
uh, and then we recorded this album. And I mean, each each album that I've I've made has its own little story, uh, its cool little origin of how it came to be. And so this one was really cool because, you know, when you work in the music industry for a while, you know, you kind of get used to the same old scene, and it's hard to kind of break out of your shell yeah. um, and learn more stuff about what you do and that's really what this album personally helped me grow i mean you go to you go to the nashville and and there's just everyone can sing and you just yes. see how how competitive and beautiful the the artist's world is um but in terms of the in terms of the sound we kind of went for a more um we aimed for for a little bit of like an adele influence an amy winehouse influence and yeah. kind of played around with it Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Good. Now, um, earlier you said, I mean, th that it's it's a pop album, like mismatched. Um, although you can certainly hear the the jazz influence, and I and I love that about it. Um, would you consider yourself a jazz singer or a pop singer or a Christian singer? Because I mean, I know that your Christian faith, your Catholic faith, also influences a lot of what you do. Mm hmm. I I would probably say you know all of the above. Um, because depending on, depending on where I'm singing, you know, if I, if I sing in a jazz, uh, you know, a jazz restaurant, yeah. people always tell me that I sound like a pop singer. And then right. when I go sing in a pop concert, people are always saying I sound like a jazz singer. So, um, I, I really have, I, I really, it's like, you can't choose your, your favorite child as a parent. And I, <laughs> I certainly can't choose my favorite genre. I love pop and I love jazz. And yeah. so. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that I that I'm kind of I'm both. Um, and for the Christian, you know, it's interesting uh, for me as an artist to see. You know, when I go into concerts that are secular, it's tough to go in there stating you're a Christian artist because mm -hmm. I don't want to turn people off of listening to any sort of you know Christian messages within right. the songs. Uh, and so my my dad and I long ago decided, you know, instead of branding yourself as a Christian artist purely, so I don't go by a Christian artist, but I do consider myself a Christian artist. Mm -hmm. um, just in the sense that no matter what I do, no matter um, the type of gig I do, I always have the, I'm always like a missionary trying to convert people no matter what. So it's right. hard to say. I mean, publicly, n no, not depending on the crowd. It, you could see me as Christian or not Christian, uh, but always my, my goal is to always be ministering to the people I, I sing for. Yeah, and I think that depending on them, you do have songs where I would classify them as secular songs, but, but you can tell that there's a, there's a, there's a worldview that is there's a Christian worldview. Now, I do know that sometimes you go and do, I mean, you sometimes, uh, I don't know if you can call yourself a, a faith speaker, but you do do a little bit of that. So in that context, you would be, if, if you're invited to do a, a, a keynote or a, or a, or a talk, you could do praise and worship. Like, do you do that as well? Yeah. Yeah. So I have been, uh, I think over the, only the past couple of years mm -hmm. I've started to do this, um, was talk more on ch like chastity to the, the right. Catholic, uh, realm. Okay. And, uh, it's great because the, the new album has, you know, dang boy, if you listen yes. to the words and maybe our love, it's, it's all, it's all a bit complainy to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I love I love using those songs as a template when I talk to kids, um, because I think kids really sometimes they don't want to be preached at. Sometimes they want first and foremost someone to sympathize with them that you know even though I'm Christian, 
you know, I still I still struggle with finding love just like everyone else, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's tough to find um, people who are who are going to be honest with the struggle of finding love. You know, it's not easy. It's not perfect. Yes. No, that's good to know. And we know I'm not going to let you go before saying here publicly that you also you found love yourself because you just got married literally two weeks ago. So congratulations on that, Maggie. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, it's, it, uh, it's uh, definitely uh, a prayer answered. I met him at my prayer group. Uh, yeah. So kudos to Mother Mary for putting us together. Yes. Uh, good. But yeah, definitely patience pays off in the long run for sure. Okay, well, very good. Nice to talk to you. Um, thanks for the album. I hope that uh, more good things are coming down the pipes. And uh, again, congratulations on your marriage. Thank you so much, Pedro. You can learn more about Mags and purchase her latest album at her website, magsthesinger.com. Here now is Mags with Dang Boy from her new album, Maybe Our Love. Dang boy, you sure are beautiful, so wonderful, simply incredible, darling. Dang you for making me fall for you, cause I fall for all you do, cannot stop loving you. A hurricane and a holiday mixed into one, but when it's all said and done, I learned my lesson. Your time from a blue moon, a stormy evening when the stars stop shining. Who's that kidding? Ooh, do you remember back in the summer? I wrote your love songs and you didn't. You're listening to Mags with Dang Boy from her album, Maybe Our Love. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Show up, 
for sure. Oh, wonderful simple incredible in my mind. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm sure many of you have heard about how St. John Paul II was instrumental in the fall of communism. You may have wondered how much any of that is true. Well, now there's a documentary that tells the story. Liberating a Continent, John Paul II and the Fall of Communism is the Knights of Columbus film that tells of the role that was played by John Paul II in the collapse of communism and the liberation of Central and Eastern Europe. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by the producer of the film, David Nalieri. David, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Andrew, great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Now, would you say that this film is a, is it a historical film? Is that a way how you would qualify it? Yeah, I think it is, Pedro. You know, we set out this. We set out to make this film to educate um, audiences for today and for the future. Um, also, the the next generation, young people that are finishing college, entering the workforce, who didn't know John Paul II. They didn't have experiences, you know, we had at World Youth Days or other large gatherings where you you kind of understood the charisma this man had and his great yeah. spiritual legacy. So, with John Paul and his death now more than a decade past. We wanted to make a film that chronicled the events of the 1980s, um, the impact his visit in 1979 had to Poland, uh-huh. um, and how this led to a sp- really a spiritual revolution, which culminated in the fall of communism in 1989. So we wanted to um, kind of secure the legacy of John Paul II for this pivotal moment, and then, um, and then teach and instruct future generations about the importance of faith in the public square, the importance of religious freedom, and uh, and the fact that the quest for freedom in Europe continues. So those are kind of some of the themes that are in the film. But very much it's an historical film that we try to do in a really modern, uh, powerful way using um, all the tools of modern media. Right. And uh, of course, you you were filming in Eastern Europe. Uh, who did you have a chance to speak with that uh, that are featured in the film? Yeah, so we, we traveled three different times to, to Eastern Europe, most of the time in Poland. But one of the things that set the film apart a little bit was we wanted to also chronicle the great impact John Paul II had in other Eastern European countries. Okay. So in Lithu- we traveled to Lithuania, we traveled to the former Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic. Um, and in these countries where the impact he had when he traveled to Poland in 1979 really seeped through to these countries as well. Um, So it was awesome to have the chance to sit down with a lot of uh, solidarity leadership uh, to interview uh, Cardinal Stanislav Jivic, of course, the Archbishop of Krakow, a long time um, uh, personal assistant of John Paul II, um, Hanna Szczysowska, who was the former Prime Minister of Poland, um, George Weigel, John Paul II's biographer. We interviewed two former heads of state of Lithuania as well. So the interviews are many human rights activists, priests, journalists, historians, theologians uh, from across Eastern Europe who kind of gave us an inside glimpse into how exactly the, the spiritual revolution uh, unfolded. Can you, can you explain that maybe a little better? What do you mean, how can a spiritual revolution lead to, I guess, in a very real sense, a real revolution? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Pedro, and I, I think it's an awesome one because a lot of times people may have a little doubt, oh, is this just, you know, an inside Catholic job or is this a, kind of a slanted historical view yeah. by Catholic partisans? But the interesting thing is many secular historians and leading historians of, of European history um, and the history of Poland and of that region and of communism and of the Cold War, they all agree that 
without John Paul II's visit to Poland in June of 1979, those nine days that changed the world, without that visit, you don't have this great sweeping courage and euphoria that sweeps across Poland and the people, which gives rise one year later to the birth of the Solidarity Movement. And without the birth of the Solidarity Movement in September of 1980, uh, you don't have the events that unfolded in the 1980s, which culminate with the fall of the Berlin Wall and the revolution of 1989. So um, I think we can all agree on those kind of uh, cause and effect. And uh, what essentially happened was when those millions of people turned out in 1979 for all those different uh, visits of John Paul II, he gave about 50 different speeches, they realized they were not alone. They looked side by side and they saw all their fellow countrymen who had the same faith, the same values that they did. So suddenly they realized they were not alone in a communist system that sought to atomize Mm -hmm. and to kind of divide and conquer the people who lived in a sense of fear. So there's a huge huge, uh, sense of courage and euphoria that was breathed into the people of Poland. And then also John Paul II gave them back their history. Communism sought to kind of um, have them forget about their Christian roots. And he gives them back to them in speech after speech, reminding them of their thousand-year Christian history uh-huh. and the importance of human dignity and time, timeless Christian values. So when we talk about a spiritual revolution, that's what we're talking about. Right. People becoming aware of their dignity and becoming aware of their Christian past. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's absolutely a wonderful film. I encourage people to watch it. It's been nominated for five Emmys, so congratulations on that, David. Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to let you go without uh, talking about another film that you've just. I think you've finished it. Um, the Face of Mercy. Um, if you haven't finished it, I know you're finishing it soon because it's uh, going to be airing on 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 various uh, ABC affiliates uh, soon, right? Um, which is a a film. That's right. Yeah, uh, it's called the The Face of Mercy, and it is finished, uh, Pedro. Yeah. yeah the, Good. The, uh, it is airing on ABC affiliates across the country right now. It's yeah. airing right now, so people could maybe they've they've heard about it. So, and these are uh, I know it's it's the year of mercy. So uh, clearly, the making of the film had something to do with this uh, year of mercy. Absolutely. I think we were really inspired to uh, to work uh, in conjunction with Pope Francis's call for Holy Year of Mercy, and we're really excited as well to have a new partnership, the Knights of Columbus, working with a congregation for the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, which uh-huh. of course is St. Faustina's order, and uh, several of them, um, including Sister Gaudia, who helped produce the film and right. stars in it, is now at the St. John Paul II Shrine in Washington, D.C., uh-huh. this great project of the Knights. And so this film uh, really helps bring to light uh, Pope Francis's uh, call for a year of mercy, his call for a church that's more merciful, and also seeks to uh, connect the legacies of John Paul II with Pope Francis and and help educate people, too, about the role of St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy Method. So we tried to accomplish all those uh, aims in this film. And really, if I had to kind of summarize it in one sentence, it's to show what is the face of mercy in this world. Where can we see the face of mercy? And so uh, besides the history that we delve into, Uh we also explore some personal profiles of remarkable individuals, people like Immaculate Ilibagiza, who survived the Rwandan Holocaust, Um, Jennifer Chapuzano, a widow whose husband was murdered and she publicly forgave the killer. So dramatic testimonies and powerful people who we thought kind of epitomized the face of mercy 
in today's world. Right, right. So it's a little bit of history. So we learn about Sister Faustina, about the work of John Paul II, who's also been called, I guess, a witness of mercy. Um, and then some of these contemporary stories of mercy. Um, in making the film, David, did you learn or realize something about mercy in your own life that you hadn't thought about before? Yeah, it's good. That's a good question. I think, Pedro, you know, because, you know, you've seen the documentaries, a lot of different films. I think these products always um, help you to grow it as a person. And I would say, you know, in making this film, um, I had the chance to interview several people who, uh, uh, you know, were able to forgive unbelievable yeah. crimes against them. So Makile, whose entire family was wiped out in the 1994 Rwandan genocide. I mentioned Jennifer Trapuzano. She's from Indianapolis. And yes. She was nine months pregnant. Um, a newlywed, and her husband was murdered um, on a you know a, a city street while taking a walk in Indianapolis. Her daughter was born in a couple weeks later on Divine Murphy Sunday, and she forgave wow. the killer of her husband. Even though the killer is a 16-year-old boy who never repented, never showed any remorse at all. And then also uh, Detective Stephen McDonald, very inspiring story. He was uh -huh. a New York City detective, and in 1986 he was shot, paralyzed. He publicly, for, publicly forgave his killer and now goes around the country giving talks about reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, mercy. And I think, Pedro, um, in a long-winded way to say what I learned from this film is just the, the importance of forgiveness um, to bring healing in our own lives. Yeah. And I think these stories just when then add to that John Paul II, Aliaska, who um, shot and tried to uh, assassinate him in 1881, yes. is um, so often in our own lives, we have a difficult time forgiving the most trivial things. So we may hold a grudge for the most minor offense, whether it's in our families or in our workplaces. And I think these powerful stories can really be a jolt, can really be a wake-up call um, for the need for forgiveness and how we can bring about healing in our own lives. And I think it did have that effect on me, and I, and I hope some can have that effect in others as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I haven't watched it yet, David, but I am looking forward to watching it. I know that uh, it will be airing here in Canada on Salt and Light Television in the new year. Um, but thank you so much for sharing a, a, bit, a little bit about the work that you're doing. I hope that it's encouraging to our listeners. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Bridger. Great being with you. That was David Nalieri. He's the producer of the Knights of Columbus films Liberating a Continent and The Face of Mercy. You can learn about those two films, jp2film.com. That's jp and the number two film.com and faceofmercyfilm.com. I'm going to put those two links on our site, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, so you can find it easily.
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Righteousness shall be That was John Michael Talbot with The Beatitudes from his new album, The Inner Room. If you feel that the world today is chaotic and unstable, and sometimes maybe you feel frightened, insecure, discouraged, and even angry about the future, then John Michael Talbot's newest recording is just for you. The Inner Room is John Michael's 55th recording and is a call to go to that inner room with Jesus to find healing, hope, and revival. Once again, John Michael Talbot collaborated with his friend and longtime arranger and producer, Phil Perkins, on 10 new compositions that integrate Middle Eastern sounds, Americana roots music, and contemporary styles. And to tell us more, I am so happy that we're joined now by John Michael Talbot. John Michael, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, it's great to be with you, Pedro. So I always love my buddies up in Canada. You guys are great. I know. We need to get you back here soon. It's been a while. Um, I'd love to come. And and in light of the political climate down here in the United you, States, hey, you're welcome. To come up there. <laughs> you're welcome to move up here anytime. Absolutely, <laughs> doors are open. We we accept all refugees. Um, okay. You, uh, you 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 tell me that the project, so this new album, the Inner Room, is based on the Sermon of the Mount. Why? What what moved you to to work specifically? meditations on that that uh, part of our gospel well quite frankly it's just been the polarization that's gone on in our culture and uh, again i can't speak to canada the same way i can to the united states Mm -hmm. but you know facebook social media uh the the level of fear anxiety right um anger Uh and even hatred yes and vitriol has just been so extreme 
and and it's even in the church, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't think I've ever yes. seen a time when the church is so polarized is. Yeah. in many ways as it is today. Yeah. And so I said, well, golly, what if we just, you know, I, I tell a joke down here, and we're doing the interview in the middle of the political season, yes. and I say, guess what? Donald Trump is not going to save you. Hillary Clinton is not going to save you. Only Jesus can save us. Yes. All the rest of these folks are just politicians. Yeah. Or want to be politicians. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> you know and 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 so uh, I thought, well, let's look at what he says. Right. And and I I started going through the Sermon on the Mount, which. When I first got involved again as an adult with Christianity in 1971, yeah, it was the Sermon on the Mount that drew me. Yeah, and and I read it and I just went, oh wow, this yeah. stuff is so radical. I mean, very few of us Christians even do this, right? Uh, you know, a few of the saints manage it. I mean, you know, Saint Teresa of Calcutta managed it. Yeah, uh, we, you know, things like forgiveness. We know that. Uh, St. John Paul II uh, managed it with the guy that tried to kill him. But most of us, you know, folks that are just muddling through have a real hard time Mm -hmm. with things like turn the other cheek, uh, pray for your enemy, love your enemy, uh, don't judge, don't take an oath, don't don't take a false oath, don't take an oath. Uh, You know, adultery, Uh, we live in a sexually promiscuous society and... And Jesus' answer is, is again, revolutionary. Don't lust. Just get rid of lust. Yeah. And the other stuff really gets easy. Right. And and so I I was thinking about it, Pedro, and the Beatitudes kind of came easy because I, 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 uh, you know, I've been to the Middle East, and and we forget that Jesus was a Middle Easterner. Jesus was, you know, not Western European and certainly not North American. So... Uh, you know, what does that sound like? What does that feel like? And I right. tried to capture that on the Beatitudes. Yeah. But then I got to the rest of the sermon, and I went, I went, okay, I've I've tried to put this text to music now three times, mm-hmm. and every time I bring it to my producers, they go, nah, this is not up to snuff. This is not up to your standard. You can't do this." Right. And and I prayed, and Pedro, I, I got a word, well, I got two words from God. You know what they were? No. Bob Dylan. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he just yeah. won the Nobel like, Prize, so, so. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, Bob Dylan. What? You know, it's folk music, John. Write it like a folk song. Oh, my God. So. So I I did most of the sermon on a yeah. song called The Light of the World. Yes. Yeah. It's eight minutes long. And when I can't have an eight minute song and, you know, I mean, verse after verse after verse. And 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 yeah. I said, OK, guys, we got to cut some of this. What should we cut? And we all looked at each other and we said, well, which of the words of Jesus do you want to cut out? <laughs> That's so, great. That's great. We're going to end the show with that song, actually. I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. And and I was going to ask you, yeah, how you go about writing um I mean, it's great. Obviously, I, I, I presume that a lot of this, not just, you know, asking for, for divine Bob Dylan guidance, how, how, much, of it, <laughs> how much of it comes out of, of your prayer time? How much is sort of inspiration? How, you know, your general, maybe this is a general question about how John Michael Talbot writes music or writes songs. Can you tell us a little bit about that well, process? 
Well, it comes out of prayer. I mean, I'm always reading. I'm always doing, uh, you know, intellectual and devotional reading, and I'm always praying mm-hmm. beyond words, and it just kind of flows out. But quite frankly, I haven't done a record because I'm not sure that the recording industry works anymore. Yeah. Um, especially for Christians. Um, and, and so I've kind of felt like a quarterback with no, nobody, no receivers open downfield. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. well, I, I know how to throw, but who's catching? Why? Yeah. Nobody down. There. Yeah. So it helps. I, I had a lot of requests to do another record and that was a receiver. You know, I mean, I started getting all these, hey, it's been years. You got to do another record. You got to do another record. Yeah. And uh, and so I went, okay, I will. Well, I think that uh, one of the last times that you and I spoke, you were saying that you might not never even write a song again. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. So not only weren't you not going to record, but yeah. So but 55 albums is a lot of albums. It's a lot of albums, but, you know, as long as people like it and. And I'm out on this tour, the Inner Room tour, mm-hmm. and uh, people love the new stuff. Yeah. I mean, they just go bananas over it. And I have a song called The Inner Room. Yeah. And that's a cool song. I mentioned it in the liner notes that the Greek, you know, the inner room is basically the pantry. It's the storehouse right. yeah. of a Middle Eastern. You know, it's the how it's the it's the room in the house. That's on the inside. There's no windows, um, you know. And so the question is, well, we have to turn off the outside noise, you know, turn off the 24-7 news cycle, which is some would argue is propaganda anyway. So just turn it off, Mm -hmm. you know, turn off, turn off Facebook, turn off Twitter. Uh, Just just go pray. So it's it's to provide that undistracted place. And that undistracted time uh, daily to go pray. And then, you know, I love the word uh, vain repetitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. word in Greek is bata legeo. Bata means to babble. Legeo comes from lagos, yeah. or word, so babbling words. And it was used for, uh, for the way little babies babble. And they say words and sounds, and they don't know what they mean. Yeah. So this is a powerful tool, especially for Catholics where we use rip repetitions in our liturgy. Yes. Let's make sure that we really mean them, that we're really praying them, that we're not just babbling, we're not doing bata legeo, that mm-hmm. we're not doing uh, empty stammerings. And then the last word is hypocrite, and that word is an actor. Yeah. Uh, so don't pray like you're like an actor on a stage. Playing and, a role. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Pedro, and I, I mean, I, you're... <laughs> you're a deacon, you do this for a living. And, you know, I'm a professional religious and I do this for not only my way of life, but also it's my livelihood. And, you know, it's easy to fall into the acting mode. Yes. It's, you know, for that hour or, you know, if you do several things on Sunday for three or four or five hours, I can do that. Yeah. Play a role and go home and act. Yeah. And then go home and act like a jerk. Yeah. So, you know, so so the challenge is don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor on a stage. Yeah. There's a there's an old axiom that says if you feel unholy, begin to act holy, and maybe it'll soak in. Right. Yes. And that's legitimate. It's so that's true. Legitimate. Absolutely. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. That is legitimate. But what if we're 
living that way? Yeah. What if that's the only thing we ever do? And that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't yeah. be a hypocrite. Yeah, I love it. I love so, it. Uh, There's so much here, John. Yeah. Um, um, and and uh, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not surprised that you're saying that people are loving it because it, 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 certainly any John Michael Talbot fans out there, this is not going to disappoint. Um, it, there's very much, it sounds a lot like John Michael, but there's all, there's some newness there too as well. So I think that it's, well, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's good. Yeah, can I say one more thing yeah, before we yeah, close? Yeah, go for it. Uh, the, the, other, the other thing is who I brought in. I mean, yeah. Uh, my engineer, Brent King, has been Ricky Skaggs' engineer. Okay. And he's kind of like, you know, Bill Monroe's successor, you know, uh, in the bluegrass world. Yeah. And and it was really fun. I actually asked Ricky to come play. And he okay. came. And he was there for eight hours. We played for four. And we just fellowshipped for four. Yeah. He's not a Catholic, but he loves Middle Eastern music. So he got out his mandolin. And he started playing this Middle Eastern stuff, and the guy's a genius. And it brought a different flavor. Uh-huh. And then, of course, I brought in Phil Keggy, who's course, certainly oh. one of the best. He's one of the best, the guitar, best guitar, guitar player. The yeah, yeah. And he played on a bunch of stuff, and I, I he's always a joy. And he's also and not Catholic, I right? Ran, he's also not Catholic. He's not Catholic, but he's a Christian. He's not Catholic, yeah. but almost. He, but he's <laughs> he's Episcopalian. Yeah. And, in terms of the church he attends and he's been praying the liturgy of the hours. I gave him a liturgy Beautiful. of the hours 25 years ago. He yeah. prays it every day. Pedro. Yeah. And then Amazing. the last guy that I brought in, that was so much fun is, uh, Bill Halverson. Uh-huh. Bill, Bill did, uh, the, t- the first Talbot brothers record in 1972. Okay. And he did the last Mason prophet record in 1971. Wow. Are set, I might have those years a year early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he produced he produced Crosby, Stills and Nash, and he did some Beach Boy stuff. He did, right. you know, Cream. He was he was in the truck when they did Crossroads, uh-huh. you know. And I mean, he's done all this classic stuff. Yeah. And uh, and he lived like a mile from the recording studio. And I called him up and I said, "You want to come over?" And he said, "Sure, I'll be there every day." Nice. So he came over and was dropping these little tidbits of of engineering genius down like these little pearls from you know from above yeah and uh and he is not a christian but he's he's a he's an avid 12-stepper so we had a lot of fun Mm -hmm. so the record is is traditional john michael talbot but at the same time it is um it's got some Elements from my past, right, and it goes forward. And I, 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 I don't know. It, it brings in all these different, different elements, you know. Yeah, no, so. and 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 I think you can hear that. Um, so, I, I, again, I'm not surprised that people like it. Um, thank you so much for coming out coming out of your inner room so you can share a little bit of the inner room with the rest of us. Um, and I'm hoping that there's more to come. Uh, so it's been really good. Yeah, God willing. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much and take care of yourself, okay? Thank you, Pedro. God bless you, buddy. If you want to find out more about John Michael Talbot or if you want to purchase The Inner Room or any of his albums, just go to his website, johnmichaeltalbot.com. And here now is John Michael Talbot with that song that he was talking about. We might not be able to play the whole thing, but most of it, The Light of the World, from his new album, The Inner Room. You are the light Shown to all the world 
You're listening to John Michael Talbot with The Light of the World from his album, The Inner Room. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Learn all about Salt and Light at our website, saltandlighttv.org. And when you're there, visit our show page, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you have any questions or comments, or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. not think that I abolish prophets or the law. I have come to fulfill and surpass them all. I am the light.